and talk to our Heavenly Father right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to be part of your church. Thank you for the story of how it started, the account that we have here in the book of Acts. We pray, Lord, that we would glean lessons from what we see in this early church and apply it to our lives. That's our desire, Jesus. We love you today. Thank you that you're here with us right now. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So our series is entitled Unstoppable, and we're looking at the book of Acts, which is all about the birth and growth of the New Testament church. And we're going to continue what we looked at last week, the church alive. In Acts chapter 2, the church was born, the Holy Spirit descended on people like fires, uh, tongues of fire on the 120 people that were there, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the church was born. God took up residence in the hearts and lives of believers. Something different than what happened in the Old Testament. That could not be said of believers in the Old Testament. But when the church was born, because of the crucifixion and sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, the Bible says we were made clean. Our sins were paid for. We were given the righteousness of Jesus, imputed, given to us. And because of that, now God lives inside of us. You are the temple of God. And this baby church began to grow. 3,000 people after Peter's very first sermon. I mean, this guy didn't even have a homiletics preaching class. He just did it, and 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. And I want to talk about the church alive today. What does it mean to be a church alive? And the qualities that we highlight, uh, we're going to talk about four qualities that lead to an eternal impact. Those qualities for the church are qualities for us as individuals. As a pastor, I need to have them. If I don't, I need to change. As a person who loves Jesus, you need to have these qualities. Like you to turn your Bibles. We're going to open up the Word of God and look into it as we hold this amazing gift that's been given to us. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one nearby. Please take it and open it up. Acts 2.42, page 911 in your chair Bibles. And I just want to remind you where we're at in our study. We looked at the structure probably about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. The book of Acts is divided into three structures, three components, three sections. First section deals with action in Jerusalem. That's in chapters 1 through 7. Then in chapters 8 through 12, it moves to Judea and Samaria. Then in chapters 13 through 28... We see the missionary travels of Paul as he takes the gospel message and begins to do what Jesus told him to do. Bring it to the uttermost parts of the earth. The central person in the chapters 1 through 7, the chapter that we're in today, central person, gave leadership, Peter. Then in chapters 8 through 12, we see Philip as he ministers to Samaritans. And then Paul doing his missionary journeys. The people addressed in chapters 1 through 7, which is where we're at now, are the Jews, then the Samaritans, and then we see Paul taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And the progression of thought is this, the triumph of the church. The church is growing, it's expanding, people are coming to know Christ. More than 500 people saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. The triumph, the victory of the church, it was powerful. Then a period of transition as persecution begins and People think, oh, that's negative, Mel. But it really isn't because it drove those believers out of Jerusalem. And what did they take with them? The gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. And they brought it to the Gentiles as Paul travels around the Mediterranean world planting churches. And this book is all about the birth and growth of the New Testament church, the story that we're a part of. If you're a believer in Christ today, you're part of the church. You're part of this story. And it's an exciting one. I define church as this, a worldwide group of true believers in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, gathering together regularly in local congregations. All around the world, people like you, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, who love Jesus, who've been changed by his amazing good news message. And it's growing every day. More and more people coming to know Christ. And we began a couple of weeks ago looking at four keys to eternal impact. We looked at that undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message. When people gathered to find out what was going on, this mighty rushing wind happened. Peter didn't hesitate to stand up and give the good news of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. May we as a church never hesitate from that message. May we as a church be committed to giving that powerful, life-changing, eternity-changing message. It's the core of what a church is. If you're going to pick two words to describe what a church does. For me, word number one that you see in the Word of God, that, that Jesus tells us to when he says, Go therefore into all the world and make what? Disciples. That's evangelism. If a church has lost its heart to evangelize, we're not doing church like Jesus told us to do. Here's the second key word to what the church is all about. Edification. Building up one another. When we come together and we worship God, we're being edified by the Holy Spirit as we worship God and lift Him up. If you're saying, well, Mel, I'm too cool to worship, then you need to humble yourself. <laughs> you need to humble yourself. What God is looking for in our hearts are, are teachable hearts that are humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace, strength to the humble. Humble yourself. Say, man, I'm here to worship Jesus. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to lift up my heart to the Lord because he's des He deserves it. No one else, no thing else in my life deserves worship in my life outside of Jesus. We talked about as well an uncompromising commitment to the Word of God. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You should have your Bibles open. Acts 2, 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was that teaching all about? It was the Word of God. They had the Old Testament, and what were they doing? They were looking in the Old Testament to see how Jesus had fulfilled the prophecies from the Old Testament. How Jesus had fulfilled what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. An uncompromising commitment to the Word of God. They devoted themselves. Uh, the Greek word here has been translated in some versions as steadfastly committed themselves to be in the Word of God the apostles teaching to take the word of God and let it enter your life and change your life from the inside out Colossians 3 16 we looked at that verse I think this is where we ended last time to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another I want to ask you today does the word of God dwell in you richly when you're talking to your spouse do you talk about hey what does the word of God say we're having a problem here what what does the word of God say we should do when you're talking to your kids and they're going through a problem or grandkids, what does the Word of God say? 
What does the Word of God tell us to do? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you. I love the word dwell. Live in you. You take it and you live it out. Not poorly, but richly. It fills every component of your life. You might say, well, Mel, there's so many churches out there, so many different denominations. What happened? How did that happen? Well, basically, it happened over the minor doctrines of the faith very often. Uh, We have said here that there are some core doctrines of our faith that are so essential to what we believe. These are doctrines I would die for. They're that important. Here's the core essential of the faith. Salvation by faith alone. Amen, church? Salvation by faith alone. Core doctrine. You don't want to stand before God, and if he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? Please don't say, because I'm a good person. I deserve this, God. I deserve heaven. I'm a God. I've helped all these people throughout my life and done all these good things. But we know that we still have a sin debt, right? A sin debt that needs to be paid for. That's why Jesus came, to lay down his life for our sin. A faith that saves you then will begin to change you. You'll begin to do these good things for others, not to gain salvation, but because you've already obtained it, a free gift from God. A free gift. You can't earn it. Core doctrine of the faith. The deity of Christ. Core doctrine of the faith. These are things that we teach here that Jesus is the worthy Lamb of God because He was God in flesh. His life had infinite value. That's why He could take the sins of the entire world, yours and mine. If He was just one person, then maybe His death could pay for the sins of one other person if He lived a sinless life. But because he was God in flesh, his life had infinite value. It could pay for the sins of the entire world for all those who put their faith and trust in him. I hope you rejoice in that message today. I hope that brings you joy, that you know you don't have to worry about whether I'm good enough to get to heaven. Have I done enough good deeds? Is God up there weighing my good deeds against my bad and will I make it? That is not the Bible says. We're to rejoice in that. We're to be a church that upholds that message, just like Peter did that first day. 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. You, my friends, are ambassadors for Christ. You've been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to devote ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God because in it we find God's truth. And if anything contradicts the Word of God, we, we reject that. Because we follow God. That, that was Satan's strategy in the very beginning when he tempted Adam and Eve, right? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree you want to in the garden? Did he limit you? Let's try to challenge the word of God. And sadly, they fell to that. But we serve the almighty Jesus Christ who's alive today, who's right here with us. We've gathered together in his name. And the third truth that we believe in, core doctrine, core essential of who we are, is here it is, the authority of God's word. If it has authority, then we're to take it and apply it to our lives. We're to take the wisdom of the word of God and apply to every situation that we face in our lives. We apply it to every component of our lives because we believe in the authority of God's word. That in the original manuscripts, inerrant, without error, It's been given to us as this amazing guidebook for life. I love what it says in Acts chapter 5. We'll get there eventually. 
But it says this about Peter. As they were teaching the Word of God, there, there was a power that came with this, right? It says this about Peter, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. This amazing outpouring of God's power at the beginning of the church. That's what Joel prophesied 700 years earlier. That's what would happen. May we be a church that believes foundationally in the authority of the Word of God and see that power that comes with that faith lived out in our church. Lived out in our church. See, the amazing demonstration of the power of God, I believe, came with the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If you vacate that message, if you take it away, the church loses its power. Here's a third component to make an eternal impact. The third key that we should have in our individual lives and that should be here in the church. Let's look at the text. It says this in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. Fellowship. That connection that we have with one another. An unconditional commitment to one another. What did they do? It says here. And to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. There was a connection they were having to one another. They were eating food together, breaking bread together, praying together, fellowshipping with one another. That word fellowship there in the text is this Greek word koinonia. It means to have all things in common. To have all things in common, openly relating to one another. Riverview, may we be a church in which, and we've talked about this a number of times, we come together and we stand at the foot of the cross, all sinners, saved by God's amazing grace. No one above anyone else. We all are sinners, undeserving of God's grace and mercy, but by his love for us, he gave it to us. So we all stand at the foot of the cross on equal footing. Therefore, we can be transparent with one another. And whatever struggle you're going through, I want to tell you today, there are others in the church that have gone through it. I don't, I don't care what it is, they've gone through it. People who are believers who've had that same struggle and they've walked through that struggle one step at a time so that we can be real with one another and share with one another and be able to connect with one another. See, I believe that commitment, and we have this in our notes, is seen in a Christ-centered transparency. If we really understand the gospel message, then you can come to church and say, you know what? I can be honest here. This is my struggle. Pray for me. And, and the person that hears that knows, you know, I'm a sinner too, and I've had struggles just like that. I will pray for you. And we're here to build one another up and edify one another and take the word of God and live it out to take the word of God and live it out. There are people who want to change the message of the word of God. They want to diminish the word of God. They want to change the gospel and what it's all about. But we here at Riverview, our desire is to take what the word of God says. It's a plain and simple upfront message. Not water it down, not change it. But always give it in love. That's the most loving thing you can do. I remember uh, years ago, I was part of this event called a road rally. And a road rally is this. How many of you have ever been on a road rally? Anybody ever been on a road rally? Okay, this one was you would get a set of instructions at the beginning of the rally, and a car would be sent out every five minutes, right? And that you had to follow these weird instructions, like at the 23rd telephone pole, make a right. At the fifth mailbox, make a left. 
And you'd have to pick up different things along the way in this road rally. You'd have to go run into a restaurant and get one of their matchbooks or whatever it might be. And there was a driver, there was a navigator, and there were some people in the back who were part of the team. You were all doing this together. And I remember the team I was on, we were off to a great start. We were following the directions. We were making every turn when we needed to make it. We were going down the road, and we were all doing well. After about the sixth or seventh direction, we were on this, we made this entrance to a highway, and, and there it said, look for a billboard that has this on it. We started traveling down the highway. We're thinking, we are breaking all the time records. We're way ahead of everybody else. We're high-fiving each other in the car, the driver up front, the navigator. And then after a few minutes, we realize, wait a minute, we think we made a wrong turn because we don't see that billboard. And we were traveling for 15 minutes and didn't see the billboard. And the navigator looked back at the directions and realized he had misread one of the directions. And instead of going on the highway, we should have gone past the highway and gone on the next street. And all of a sudden, that car that was high-fiving each other became an angry, discontented car. They were angry with the navigator. They wanted to, to, to lynch the navigator. And yes, I was that navigator. I was the man. They couldn't stand me. And it didn't matter how sincere we were. It didn't matter how high, much we were high-fiving each other. We were going the wrong way because we had not followed the directions. I had not followed the directions. Carefully enough, all of a sudden that car that was so joyful became this sad, mournful, we've lost, we're in last place in this road rally. See, sincerity really doesn't matter if you're disobeying the Word of God, right? If you're disobeying His directions. And my prayer as a pastor, and I, I love the support you've given for everything that we do here in this, just to take the Word of God and apply it. Just to take the Word of God and endeavor to live it. And to come together with a Christ-centered transparency that says, you know what, I can connect with you and we can be real with one another and grow in our faith with one another. See, that's what it says here. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And their scholars will say, commentators, there's that element of communion there, remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us and to the prayers that we give to one another. Here's another way we can support one another here at Riverview and be the church that we see here that's growing exponentially. Prayerful support for one another that we would pray for one another. I love when I walk out on the patio and I see people maybe off in a corner praying for each other. That we're, we're not afraid to say, please pray for me. I was uh, doing a presentation this week and I was telling someone about it and they said to me, hey, good luck with that presentation. And I, what I said was, I don't need luck. I need you to pray for me, Right? I need you to pray for me as I give this presentation that I would give it clearly. Pray for me. Prayerful support of one another. That as we share with one another, we can be praying for one another. You're no, you're, you know you're in a body of believers that loves you. And so many of the people that are going through what you're going through, they've gone through it themselves. And they can pray for you. There's that connection that we have as they prayed for one another. And then the next verse says this, if you look at the text, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles had this amazing outpouring of God's power. It seemed like, uniquely, they could heal on command. 
I've heard of people that have had, supposedly, the gift of healing or a gift of miracles. But I've never heard of anyone that could heal on command. That anyone they said, hey, get up and walk, that that person would get up and walk. But that seemed to be the case here for the apostles. It says it was happening through the apostles. That even Peter's shadow, when it fell on someone, they were healed. Peter could say, get up and walk, and the man immediately rose up and walked. It's an amazing outpouring of the power of God. And what I believe that encourages us to do here as we connect with one another is to have this expectation to experience God's power and presence. We've seen a number of people come to know Christ, put their faith in Christ. That, I believe, is the greatest miracle of all. Somebody who was lost without Christ comes to faith in Him and is made alive again spiritually. We've seen people here, we've prayed for people that have had physical miracles. I believe I was one of them. All of you were praying for me. My doctor's still amazed that when I had my unexpected heart attack years ago, he said, I just, when I see you, I'm still reminded you were my worst case ever, and I, and I can't believe how good you are now. I can clear an artery in five minutes with you. It took me an hour and a half. You shouldn't be here. I can't explain it. He's an agnostic, he told me. So every time I see him, I bring him another book to read and another, so, you know, here, Doc, I know you're helping me, but I want you to read this, try this, because I'd love for you to come. I'd love for you one day to come to church here at Riverview. I'd love to thank you in front of our folks for allowing God to use you to save my life. There are miracles that are happening, and to have that expectation of God at work in our lives, to have that expectation that even though you're facing a major challenge in your life, and we all face them, don't we? I do. To believe God for a miracle. To trust God. And if we don't get an answer from God that mirrors exactly what we want, then what he wants us to do is step by step walk through that trial, walk through that problem, walk through that challenge, trusting him. Trusting him. God, like, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh. Three times, God, take this away from me. It's bothering me. No, because my power is going to be seen through your weakness. My power will be seen through you being weak. See, God was growing Paul up to trust him more. May we be a church. May you be an individual part of this church to trust God every step of the way, to believe God for the miraculous, that we are expecting God to do something within me and through me that only he can do. Here's verse 44. Look at the text again. This baby church doing so many things well. It says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. No one was saying, Hey, this is mine. Don't touch it. Oh, no, you need it. No, this is mine. You can't have it. This is, this is for me. They had all things in common. There's that word koina again, the same word that's used in the word fellowship. Koinonia, having all things things in common. No one was saying, this is mine, you can't have it. This is all for me. That wasn't the attitude. Everyone's heart was, man, if there's a resource that I have that can be used for God's kingdom, man, I want it to be used by God. I want the church to use it. If it's a talent I have, and by the way, each one of you have one, right? A spiritual gift. If there's a talent that I have that I can use to glorify Jesus, to build up his church, because as believers, since Jesus loves the church, 
We ought to love the church. Yes, with all its failings. Yes, with all its shortcomings. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that there's been no, and I'll say it again, no institution, no group of people on the earth that have done more good for this planet than the universal church. Believers around the world helping one another, meeting needs. And it was happening here in Acts chapter 2 all things in common. They had all things in common. Verse 45 says this, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were, sell they were, they were selling what they had to help others who didn't have anything. People have said to me, Mel, that's communism. This is the Bible advocating communism here. I always respond with this. I think I've shared this maybe a few years ago here at Riverview. No, communism is is all about this. I will take what you have and then give it and take a 25% cut for the government. I will take what you have and then give it. The people in the early church were saying this. I will give what I have. I want you to take it. Big difference. I will give what I have. I see a need in your life. And whatever time or talent or resource, treasure that I might have that can meet that need, I, I want to give it. And when all of us are doing that, no one gets overwhelmed. No one gets burned out. I said that to the elders. The elders always ask me, Miller, are you getting burned out? And I'm like, no, not at all. I love what's happening here at Riverview. There are so many people stepping up and stepping in to serve people here at the church. You don't even see it. I do. And I'm so encouraged by what God is doing through the gifts and abilities of others here at Riverview that you never see. See, that's the church alive. It's the church alive. And all of us, maybe, maybe it's not even here at church. Maybe you're using your gift and ability in an organization that's called a parachurch organization, an organization that works alongside the church. Amen. Keep doing that. But all of us should be looking for ways in which we can use the talents that we have. 74 loft houses with people who are talented with a hammer and saw and can put together these loft houses. And they can even help people like me who are not as talented with a hammer and saw to be part of that. I love that when it happens here at Riverview. See, people are looking for ways to be used by God to meet the needs of others. You know, people often go through times of discouragement. I certainly have. And my advice over the years to anyone who is going through a time of discouragement is this. One of my pieces of advice, begin to serve others. Go visit some friends, uh, people from church who are in the hospital. Ask the pastor, hey, pastor, can I go with you and visit some people in the hospital? I want to tell you, when I walk through the hospital, my heart, I'm, I'm looking at these people who are struggling to live in each room, and I'm reminded how blessed I am to be able to walk down these hallways. As I serve others, it begins to take my eyes off myself and look at the needs of others. That's exactly what's happening here in the early church. That's exactly what Riverview Church needs to be like, just like that. There are 50 passages in the New Testament that talk about one another. Let me just give you some of these one another passages that talk about what we should be doing with one another. We should love one another, encourage one another, be devoted to one another, build up one another, be kind to one another, accept one another, 
serve one another. Have concern for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. Pray for one another. Don't judge one another. Don't slander one another. There's this connection that we have in Christ. I hope you sense it. I hope when you come here, you know, you know, I'm brothers and sisters with people in this room. I will be with them for all of eternity. We're building this amazing kingdom of God and making a difference in the lives of people for eternity. And one of the most attractive things about our church is if we follow God's plan, is that people will come in and say, wow, there's, you guys have a love here that you don't find in the world. You have people here who are really set on helping one another and seeing the needs of one another and responding to them, just like they did in the early church. So I want to challenge you, wherever you go, it could be in the workplace, you're going to find someone you work with that has a very special need, and maybe God's calling you to reach out and in some way help that person and encourage that person to take our eyes off ourselves, off ourselves, to look around us and see the needs of others. See that commitment. Here's the fourth thing is seen in a sacrificial giving towards the work of the Lord and others. They were selling what they had. There are people from all over the Mediterranean world that had come to celebrate Pentecost. Now they were believers and they were hanging out for a while learning about Jesus. Who's going to feed them? People were stepping up and saying, here, here, church, I'll sell what I have. This will help you pay to feed these folks that are here visiting, but now they're staying a little longer to find out more about their new faith. The sacrificial giving. The next verse is powerful too. It says this, and day by day, attending the temple together. They met together as a large group, right? And then what happens? And then breaking bread in their homes. Here's the biblical basis for home groups. They met together as a large group, right, at the temple, uh, devoting themselves to the teaching, and then they broke down into smaller. These homes in the New Testament were very small. Maybe could fit eight or ten people in them. Think about 3,000 people that were now meeting in homes around Jerusalem. What a testimony that was. As they broke bread together, as they prayed for one another, as they studied the word together, they met as a big group, then broke down into smaller groups in home groups. That's why we do that here. If you're not a part of a home group, we'd love for you to be a part of a home group, to connect with others in a smaller group setting, brothers and sisters who are just like you, sinners saved by the amazing grace of God. And community is built here as we connect with one another. You're part of this family. You feel at home here. And the more you open yourself up to do that, the more you'll sense that family here. The more you'll sense that connection here. Because this truly is an amazing community. And Acts 2.46 gives us that big picture. Together as a big group, meeting together in homes. They were doing life together. They were doing life together. And I, I want to encourage you, Riverview. I know that we open the doors many times throughout the week and there are other events that happen. If you can make it come, be a part of it. Grow in your walk with the Lord. Use the tools that this church gives you as you seek to develop relationships with others. You might say, well, Mel, how, do I, how many friends should I have? How many people should I connect with? Well, let me show you this uh, little brief chart. It's kind of based on the life of Christ, really. Here you are in the center in this circle of fellowship, 
And you might say, well, Mel, how many people do I really connect with intimately? Well, you know, Peter, James, and John were three people that Jesus connected with, at least we see this in the New Testament, probably more than even the other 12. They were in his inner circle. And when we look at our own lives, realistically, if we're to think about how many people should be accountability partners for us, people that will pray for you and know exactly what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in theirs. Have a goal to have two to four people like that. Jesus had Peter, James, and John that he would often take with him and the other nine were left behind. This accountability relationship that you have with others as you open up your life to them and they open up their lives to you. And then in a group that is a group that encourages you and prays for you, maybe that's 8 to 12 people, a home group size of people. They know what's going on in your life. And then as you come here every Sunday, maybe you know between 13 and 50, depending how long you've been here and how much you've connected, but you can have faith conversations with one another. Man, hey, that was, I heard this speaker the other day. You gotta, here's this little podcast. You gotta check this out. This really blessed me. I'd love to share this with you. This is a great podcast. Great book I've read. Uh, let me give it to you. You should read this. Super good book. Challenges me in my walk with Christ to have those kind of conversations with people. And then to see God change us and grow us up. And with this, I'm going to close. You know, God's comfort is so important. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says this, God, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, what happens is, as you connect with one another, you're going to meet people that have gone through the same thing you're going through. And they're going to share with you how God helped them in that struggle. The comfort they received, they're going to give it out to you. It's like a fountain that overflows. Fills up in the top, flows out to the next level. They're sharing with you how God comforted them. There's this fellowship, all things in common that's happening. And as you begin to learn how God comforted you in your struggle, you then allow that to flow out to others and there is this amazing community of encouragement that we sense here at Riverview. That's what God intends the church to be. That's what he wants us to be like, to be able to believe God, to trust him, to live for him, and to see this community here at Riverview reflect what this amazing baby church was doing. When you read it, they were on fire for the Lord. It was the central part of their life. They were excited about the story and account of Jesus rising from the dead, and they believed it with all their hearts. And this church that began in Jerusalem has spread here to Bonzel, and we are connected with them. All the way down the line, we are connected with them and the faithful people that took what Jesus told us to do and lived it out. May we do the same. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to really live for you, God. Lord, I pray that as we look at these key factors, we're going to look at the last one next week. Lord, I pray that we would take these key factors and apply them to our lives. These are so important, not only for us as a church, a corporate body, but so important for us individually that these factors would be part of our lives, that these qualities would be alive in us 
as we become part of this bigger thing that you created back in Acts chapter 2 called the church. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Amen. Well, we have elders and home group leaders up front who love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.